The following program is presented to you by the New York State School Boards Association. NISBA's President's Gavel Podcast is supported by the Harris Beach Educational Institution's team of attorneys. Harris Beach successfully represents more than 130 school districts and BOCES clients throughout New York State on matters involving school district operations, labor and employment matters, cybersecurity, and student issues. Learn more at www.harrisbeach.com. Recommendations from the Statewide Safe Schools Task Force on School Safety highlight a need to redesign school discipline policies and practices to foster a supportive and developmentally appropriate approach to school discipline in lieu of a more traditional and punitive model. In this episode of the President's Gavel, we highlight restorative practices that improve student behavior and student climate, as well as best practices in school policy to support this approach. Stay with us. Let's call this meeting to order. Welcome to NISBA's President's Gavel podcast, a podcast for all school board members. I'm your host, Gail Simidian, Governance Research Analyst at the New York State School Boards Association. If you were at this year's Leadership and Education event in Albany, you might have attended a session about school discipline reform. This episode will focus on that topic. I'll be joined today by Jessica Goldstein, NISBA's Deputy Director of Policy Services, who will add a policy perspective to this discussion. Dr. Victor Rios seems to have it all. Great job, loving family, a life by the ocean. Dr. Rios is a sociology professor at the University of California at Santa Barbara. Nice. You might be thinking, wow, this guy was probably a straight A student in high school. Not so. Let's take a minute to flash back a few decades to Dr. Rios's teenage years. A teenage Victor sold heroin. A teenage Victor was a felon by his own admission. A teenage Victor, by a slim margin, dodged becoming another statistic in the school-to-prison pipeline, a phenomenon in which punitive school discipline, such as suspensions over time, can land a young adult behind bars. How did he miss that fate? There was most likely more than one factor at play, though for the most part, her name is Mrs. Russ, one of teenage Victor's teachers. Mrs. Russ lent Victor her ear when he needed it most, on his own timeline and terms. In a TED talk, he recounts how Mrs. Russ respected his culture, community, and family and told him to use his story as his source of resilience. She helped connect him to a mentor and helped him graduate on time with his class. Positive relationships like this, in which an adult has faith and belief in you and your abilities, are a major factor in resilience and this is the primary reason why a young Victor Rios did not end up another statistic in the school to prison pipeline. Given this background information, you can now understand that Dr. Victor Rios's life outcome to date is quite uncommon. All too often, adults miss the mark to help youth find purpose and meaning in life through strong, 
foundational, and caring relationships that support healthy youth development and student trajectories. In 2019, the New York State Education Department convened a task force with key education stakeholders, including NISBA, to examine school safety. The recommendations relate to exclusionary discipline and how to deal with bias as it relates to school discipline. Exclusionary discipline is any time a child is taken out of class for perceived misbehavior. A national database, the U.S. Department of Education Civil Rights Data Collection, provides intel that points to an alarming trend. Bias and inequity weave throughout the doling of exclusionary discipline across the U.S., including New York. This difference in treatment of students tends to occur more for Black students and those with disabilities, as well as other marginalized groups. Unfortunately, an even greater risk pool tends to be Black, male, disabled youth. Now let's dive into the recommendations. One, to highlight that exclusionary discipline, which may be based on an adult's unexamined reaction, amounts to a no-win situation for students or others. This type of discipline does not address the origins of behavior, nor does it provide a teachable moment. It can be the precursor to being a school dropout, which some call pushout, or stuck in the school to prison pipeline. Two, to reduce suspension time unless there's an outlying situation and to the degree possible, ensure exclusionary discipline is at bay with our youngest children. These changes would necessitate amending education law so that it's mandatory for all districts. Three, update educator preparation programs to build relevant capacity and competencies. And four, revise the language in state law to move from a punitive framework to a supportive, developmental, and educational one. Based on these goals, the task force came up with recommendations that would promote a healthy school climate and culture. These recommendations relate to educator preparation and professional development, practice-based reform, codes of conduct, and retrieval and analysis of data. The task force recommended that preparation programs include a focus on implicit bias and its connection to student outcomes. Implicit bias refers to unconscious negative attitudes and attributions that people may hold against others, not like themselves. And professional development training needs to highlight how school practices can promote developmentally appropriate and sound ways to help kids thrive within a healthy school climate. While changes to education law and classroom practice need to happen to impact all students, school boards can help usher in community awareness and buy-in for this change. Boards can support these changes in their own districts in the absence of legal mandates. They can also ensure that codes of conduct are updated to banish penal language and promote inclusivity. The New York State Education Department may give schools discipline reports that parcel outcomes by student subgroups referred to as disaggregated data, so it's easier to see disciplinary trends. In addition to getting to the root of the reasons for inequity, bias awareness, culturally sound teaching practices, socio-emotional learning, trauma-informed practices, de-escalation strategies, family partnerships, and restorative practices have been hailed as ways to foster a healthy school climate. 
Restorative practices aim to uncover the origins of misbehavior and through this work fortify community relationships through various strategies like mediation and circles, according to a May 2023 report by the Learning Policy Institute. Mediation refers to conflict resolution involving an objective third party and circles is somewhat self-explanatory. Gathering in a circle compared to say rows allows those gathered in the circle to attend to one another in a more meaningful and authentic manner. In restorative circles, a trained facilitator moderates a conversation with the student and any parties harmed by the student's actions. This act allows the student to repair the harm they may have caused without breaking relationships. In addition, circles can also be used as a point of reentry after a suspension, so a student can have a smooth transition back to the classroom. On that note, I'll pass the baton to Jessica, who will now discuss policy considerations. Thanks, Gail. So, what can school boards do in their role as policymakers? There are several policy-focused actions and approaches that boards can take to reduce exclusionary discipline, positively impact the school climate, and reduce disparities in student discipline based on characteristics like race, gender, disability, economic status, and LGBTQ status. First, as Gail mentioned, your school board can revise the code of conduct to include restorative practices. These practices can be structured as a first-line consideration, always contemplated as a response to student misbehavior. Restorative circles can also facilitate a student's re-entry to school after a suspension from classes occurred. Restorative practices can help to keep students in class, as well as reduce the likelihood of students repeating the behavior in the future. Community building circles should also be included as a preventive measure. Second, get a head start on possible future legislative mandates. Revise your code of conduct now to limit exclusionary discipline. Limit student classroom and school removals, reserving suspensions for situations that impact student safety. Such limits can be applied to minor infractions or restricted in the case of our youngest students. However, it is important that school staff are well-equipped, trained, and comfortable using alternate approaches, such as restorative practices, classroom management, and de-escalation techniques. Number three, make a commitment to review student discipline data. This proactively places accountability with the school board rather than because of a mandate from the legislature or the state education department. Your district can review raw numbers, trends over time, and building and grade comparisons. To address disparities, data must be disaggregated by subgroup. Districts can also review which subgroups of students tend to be offered restorative practices to make sure that all students have the opportunity to benefit from them. Use this information as a starting point to improve school practices and support those staff members who may need more training. Fourth, review the overall tone of your code of conduct. Is the language focused on helping students learn from their mistakes or is it focused on punishing infractions? Ask yourself, if you were a student in your district, 
would you feel respected or belittled by your code of conduct? Better yet, enlist students in your district to gather their feedback. Finally, improve your school climate overall by adopting a robust policy on student harassment and bullying. This can help by reducing student behavioral actions that would merit disciplinary consequences in the first place. Overall, these kinds of culture shifts usually take community buy-in, financial support, and a commitment from the administration. School boards have a big role to play in making all aspects of these changes successful. So how can we put these theories into practice? NISPA's policy services offers a sample code of conduct that addresses restorative practices, teachable moments, and community building. We also offer a sample policy and administrative regulation on student harassment and bullying prevention and intervention. Those samples are available for NISBA members by emailing policy at nisba.org. Gail, back to you. Thank you, Jessica, for that policy perspective. If you're interested in learning more about today's topic, check out today's show notes for additional resources. And if you enjoyed today's conversation or find yourself tuning in each month, check out NISBA's social media platforms and show us your support by giving us a like. Have a topic idea? Email us at gavel at nisba.org. And this meeting is now adjourned. I would also like to thank my NISBA colleagues working behind the scenes, making it possible to bring this podcast to you. Thank you, Megan De Janeiro, Al Marlin, and Alyssa Maiello. My name is Gail Simidian, Governance Research Analyst at the New York State School Boards Association, and this has been a production of NISBA's President's Gavel.